destino para ti lo que viniera de ti tu pueblo, tu pueblo. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 60 for July 6th, 2014. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And we are the creative team behind the upcoming documentary film, Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. To learn more about the film and sign up for updates, head on over to inbarfilm.com. That's I-N-B-A-R film.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out The Advocate Experience. This is a program we've been running for a few months where you can actually help us shape the film. You get access to behind-the-scenes material, special updates every two weeks, and opportunities to provide feedback on our work. We have a great group of people already participating, and if you're at all interested, we would love for you to be a part of it. This week, we continue with the second part of our multi-series interview with Stefan Schmidt, who is the director for the International Forensics Program at Physicians for Human Rights. There's a lot of people that don't have an awareness of what happened in Guatemala or Central America in the 80s. And I was wondering if you could just take us through a, a bit of an overview of the scope of the violence and some of the numbers. And then also I wanted to, to wrap that around to ask about, at the time, being in Guatemala, if you realized quite what was happening. I mean, I know you saw horrific, you, you, you told us earlier, you saw people nailed to crosses on the side of roads, roads but did you realize that the, the sheer scope of what was happening at the time? Well, I mean... When I got there, I certainly knew that the war was going on. There was no question about that, you know, and I mean, I, you know. How did I, you decide to go there during the war? Well, you know, I needed to, um, I was studying at, um, I decided to study uh, pre-Columbian uh, anthropology at the Free University of West Berlin, mm -hmm. or in West Berlin, of Berlin, but it was West Berlin, the wall was still around it at the time. And one of the prerequisites was that you had to speak Spanish or that you had to take two semesters of Spanish over there. And I thought, well, I'd met a friend who had been in Guatemala and studied uh, Spanish in Antigua. So I decided, well, why not? Let's go to Antigua, study some Spanish, save myself two semesters of doing that. And while I was there, um, I decided to go to the university and ask whether they'd take an intern in one of their archaeological digs. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, come back. And that's what I did ended up on archaeological digs and at some point I decided okay I'm gonna move here altogether because uh, at the University in Berlin the archaeological part of uh, the anthropology studies was mainly uh, Mayan glyphs you know hieroglyphs and I didn't really I, I was more interested in ceramics and actually digging and things like that so I decided I'm gonna move to Guatemala and that's what I did and I <laughs> never returned uh, to live in Germany that is and um, so I, you know, was certainly aware of it. I mean, you, in, the, in the capital, there was not much happening. I mean, once in a while, the lights would go out because the gorillas, you know, bombed an electrical tower or something. So that was a nuisance and annoyance. You know, sometimes, you know, there would be roadblocks or something to the effect. But the war had more or less already, you know, died down a notch from what it was in the early 80s. And uh, <clears throat> uh, when we founded the team, and we ended up, you know, going into some of the lowland areas. I remember we were doing an exhumation in a place called Cuarto Pueblo, uh, um, which, um, you know, is a lowland area of, uh, of, of the Quiche. And, you know, at night out there while we were camping, because you, there were no roads there, you had to walk and hike there, um, 
you know, we watched the fireworks from, you know, the guerrillas in the military lobbing RPGs at each other, uh, and you know, listen to the gunfire. So, you know, it still was very much alive. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the majority of the disappearances and things like that really happened in the early 80s that, you know, when once the civilian government took over, quote-unquote civilian in 85, uh, under Vinicio Cerezo, uh, things started changing a little bit and started calming down a bit. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the biggest problem really was um, in the 70s and, and, uh, and, and early 80s uh, under a series of dictators, there Rios Montt being one of them. But, um, um, like I said, we, you know, were asked to, as the forensic team, were asked to do exhumations in Honduras, you know, looking for disappeared people in Honduras. And, uh, you know, that's when, you know, when, when we realized that, you know, this phenomena of disappeared and missing was something that, you know, all these Central American countries shared, especially because some people, you know, one of the routes for um, people to get to Cuba or get, you know, guerrilla training or something like that was to go through Honduras, which Honduras then in turn, you know, kind of put down their, their tried to put down their foot uh, and, and, uh, and stop that from happening, uh, where then the disappearances happened. And I mean, I believe your parents, right, uh, died in, a, in, in an attack on a house in Honduras, right? Mother, and, mother did. Yes. Yeah, and that's a famous incident, you know, and, and because your mom was from El Salvador, right? Correct. She was from the FMLN down there, so um, you know, so it was something that was completely interconnected, and of course, the dimensions. And this is something that still hasn't really been addressed truly from a, you know, from an identification point of view. That means that you know you're not only trying to identify. You might very well have people in Guatemala in, those, in some mass graves or in some instances that are actually from El Salvador or from Honduras, you know, that are fighters mm-hmm. from over there that came to fight in Guatemala or vice versa. You have, you know, Honduras and so on and so forth, meaning that, you know, your identification really needs to go cross-border, not only within the country. Um, and, I think it was, you know, it was, Nelson, it was challenging for a long time for him to tell his story because he disappeared in Honduras, and and so you know he's, he's one of El Salvador's disappeared children. Yet you know he he disappeared in Honduras and at the hands of the Honduran government, not you know. Yeah. Well, but I mean you know that government, you know the biggest military base in Latin America was in Honduras. Sure, absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, you know El Salvador had you know I think like the biggest airstrip built by the Americans in order to be able to land their C-130s and galaxies or whatever it is, you know, the big airplanes that they needed to land down there. Um, so, you know, this certainly was, and, and, you know, it's a mistake to treat Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras as separate, you know, even though if you're living in those countries, and those countries are so small, I mean, if you look at the size of Florida, Florida is, what, two or three times the size of, of, of Guatemala and Honduras, well, I don't want to say that, you know, but, you know, it's it's bigger than and than Guatemala and El Salvador is a sliver of land I don't even think we have a state in the United States that it's, is as uh, small as El Salvador it's, it's the size of I always see on it's always referred to as the size of Massachusetts I guess it has roughly the same population 6 million 6 million uh, or it, it did at the time of the war and uh, and it's about the same land mass as Massachusetts oh really okay yeah. well then size of Massachusetts so not yeah. very big and and really if you look at how close by they are 
you know, in, in, in the United States, that's, you know, within driving distance wouldn't be a major thing. But, you know, you look at it, um, when you live down there, you know, you might be, a, might as well be a world apart. When I moved down there, the roads were so bad that it would take you eight hours just to get from Guatemala City to, 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 to San Salvador. To Tegucigalpa, that, you know, going on road was a nightmare. That was near impossible because you had to go through the jungle. The road wasn't even paved. Uh, you know, that was a two-day trip. It still is a problem, you know. Uh, so, 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 so you can see that, you know, that w within these countries, they feel very separate, even though, uh, you know, they shared this counterinsurgency or this insurgency they certainly had in common uh, to a large degree. And that was because, you know, these guys would go over jungle borders that have no roads, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, there are still mass graves both in El Salvador and, uh, you know, in Guatemala that are out in these areas that, you know, nobody's really even looked at or even exhumed yet. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them stem from, you know, those insurgency wars. And that certainly is something that, you know, all these countries shared. So now to answer mm -hmm. your question on the numbers and the scope, and um, can, that, I, can I add to that yeah. question? Well, actually, I'll let you go first because I don't want to throw out the numbers I, okay. I hear. So. Yeah, I mean, you go ahead and throw out. I don't want to really yeah. throw out numbers because okay. it's very, well, very I difficult. Always, when I, it, it, all these numbers are, you know, are estimates and they, they vary. <laughs> and But when I hear Guatemala referred to, I usually hear about the 40-year civil war and I hear about 200,000 dead and 40 to 50,000 disappeared. And I, And what I wanted to add is, of course, those are those are broad ranges, um, but I wanted to ask how what percentage of that happened in the 80s as opposed to going back to the 50s um, when when the civil war or the conflict started. You know, I I to be honest with you, I don't even I can't tell you. I think that you know the 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 worst. You know, the massive amounts of disappearances when you know when that really took on a you know industrial scale was certainly in the late 70s and early 80s. Mm -hmm. It certainly, you know, happened before that, but I don't think it ever went, you know, took took on those levels. The counterinsurgency campaign in Guatemala, the military strategy to go in and, you know, just kill massive amounts of villagers and things like that was something that actually began before Rio Smont. Rio Smont was on the tail end of it, certainly increased that campaign, mm -hmm. meaning that he didn't stop it when, you know, when he overthrew the government the campaign of you know mass killings and mass graves and in rural Guatemala had already been ongoing. He just increased it and you know and and uh, and you know made it worse, so to say. Uh, as far as the numbers are concerned, you know the numbers cited for Guatemala are actually studied you know based on numbers that um, a statistician put out based on you know some statistical calculations that he had made. Patrick Ball, I don't know if, if you know, but you know he at least had some influence in determining those numbers. So there were some scientific studies that were done on those numbers. Effectively, though, I am not quite sure, you know, whether they are that accurate. You know, um, I would certainly say, you know, that we're talking, you know, we're talking in the hundreds of thousands of people dead. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Okay, I have no mm -hmm. scientific um, evidence, you know, of that. Uh, displaced certainly, you know, and it all depends on how you how do you determine, you know, you know, does displacement and then dying of starvation does that count too, you know, those kind of things. I mean, you had many massive amounts of refugees going into into Mexico. Uh, the number of disappeared, 
Not so sure. Uh, you know, the Guatemalan Foundation for Forensic Anthropology, they've actually been compiling lists of disappeared because that's, uh, or missing, because that's mm -hmm. one of their projects is trying to identify, you know, human remains of the people who went missing, meaning that, you know, they were killed and then dumped by the side of the road and ended up, you know, in some ossuary or, you know, some unknown unmarked grave rather than in a mass grave where the villagers more or less have an idea of who's in it. Mm -hmm. um, I think the numbers might be a little bigger than, you know, the numbers quoted might might be bigger than, than, than the estimate. you know, than what's generally being handed around. Uh, you know, I can't, I really can't say more to it with, you know, I don't have any kind of scientific um, exact mm -hmm. data on it. But you have to remember that, you know, during, you know, during the Cold War and during these insurgency wars and even during the time when we started the Forensic Anthropology team, you know, this was a real fight between the left and the right, mm -hmm. you know, and so a lot of these numbers, of course, are also were generated by a lot of those those of us who were very much, you know, involved in, in you know, in this fight somewhere, you know, for or in this fight for justice. So, you know, um, could they have been inflated? Yes, perhaps, I don't know. Uh, it's it's difficult to say. I think that you know you're probably going to be seeing in the next few years or so you know some more numbers coming out, especially with uh, with the fact that you know now you have identification efforts like the one in Guatemala. You know they you know if you want to find out some more some better numbers, those are the people to ask. You know ask them. You know how many exhumations have you done? How many people have you dug up? How many exhumations are there still pending? You know uh, you know how many missing persons do you actually have registered versus what is claimed? Uh, you know, that'll give you a better idea of, uh, of, of where those numbers go. But, you know, one of the dimensions that, that was left, you know, that I never even thought of until, you know, I, actually until I, uh, until I joined Physicians for Human Rights was, you know, the dimension of all the children that were left as orphans, you know, and that were either adopted by, you know, or taken in by the military or, you know, down there being, you know, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, wherever. Uh, or you know then adopted out. You know um, it's interesting the uh, the John Father John Cortina who founded Pro Busqueda the organization yeah. in El Salvador that helped find Nelson. Um, I think when he died he died in Guatemala City and it was he was working to expand um, some of the organizational structure he had set up in El Salvador to Guatemala. Yeah I know. I yeah. my my sister he died in my sister-in-law's arms actually. Oh wow. My sister-in-law works for the foundation there. And uh, he was down there, you know, trying to, you know, work out, you know, how best they could work with the Guatemalans uh, in order to uh, continue with the identification effort. The first time that I came across it was when a young, I was working at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement at the time when a young lady uh, contacted me who was married somewhere in Iowa or Illinois, somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, and you know, uh, and to told me of all these stories that she remembered about, you know, this massacre and hiding in a cave and this, that, and the other. And and I'd have to look, I'd have to look up in my files again. But this was in the late '90s mm -hmm. when she contacted me, and I remember reading the story and thinking, my God, you know, this sounds like the Rio Negro massacre. You know, I said that's impossible. What, a, you know, this is, you know, what a coincidence. That can't be. You know, <laughs> I said that's not possible. And it turns out that she had been in and taken up in a Catholic orphanage uh, after the massacre uh, in Rio Negro, 
and that that orphanage had adopted her out to a family in the United States. And we actually helped her uh, reunify with her family in, in Guatemala, which was a very emotional uh, emotional thing. And that there it was possible, I think it was still possible to do without DNA. I think we did DNA tests nevertheless, but you know, I don't think there was, th there was not much uh, question about, mm -hmm. about it, you know, and uh, and she became quite an activist. I've lost track of uh, what she does now, but uh, she was. Uh, that was the first time I came upon that. You know, that was a dimension I had never even thought of before meeting her. Mm -hmm. And know. and with you know, El Salvador's had some progress, but Guatemala, you know, the military won or won that war, right? And and uh, it's been harder for people to come forward and and as. as one of the unbelievable components to me about the disappeared children in El Salvador is, you know, these stories are happened 30 years ago, and yet people are still coming forward. And I think uh, I wonder in Guatemala if there's even a, a a greater number of people that haven't yet come forward, haven't yet felt like they had avenues. You know, I don't. You know, I don't really know. And I mean, first of all, you you know, yeah, technically. You know, from a military scale, you might say that the Guatemalan military won the war, but then mm -hmm. you could probably claim the same for you know what happened in El Salvador and Honduras. Uh, nevertheless, uh, you know the peace agreements or the end of these wars did allow an opening of a political dimension for uh, you know for the left-wing factions that you know prior you know only had weapons you know as a means to uh, fight for their for their rights so now you you know you know you have a lot of left-wing governments that you know Nicaragua El Salvador uh, no, Honduras uh, they tried but then <laughs> then we had the coup in Honduras and uh, that was the end of that experiment and in Guatemala you certainly had um, uh, you know your dab at a left-wing government uh, running the country and you know some former guerrilla uh, commanders, you know, taking on political positions. I mean, that's happened throughout Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. So in that sense, you know, you do, you know, you can't say that they completely lost the war. I mean, they certainly, mm -hmm. you know, gained some voice there. And I mean, in Guatemala, the you know the trial of Rios Montt would have never happened if it wouldn't have been for the fact that you did have a somewhat left-leaning president. Um, who at the time was in charge. I mean, again, the government now has swung to the right. Uh, in Honduras, we have a you know de facto government, basically, or or what followed the de facto government. Uh, El Salvador, I think, is pretty much the only one that you know where where you that's still halfway functioning as far as democratic elections go. Uh, well, I mean, Guatemala too, but. Um, uh, so you know, I think that people are more willing to come forward and speak. And you have to remember that you know those of us, you know those those of us who who were directly affected or directly on the left, then you know are in their late 40s and and even older. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you know that's I don't think you know. Uh, I don't know as to how much fear there really still is of coming forward on these things. I think that there's a lot of pain, and that's why people might not come forward, or just the belief that it's not going to get resolved. You know, not seeing any hope that there will be justice or that their story will be told. 
I think that's you know I think that's more of a reason of why people don't do anything rather than the fear. Right now, the fear of living in Latin America or in Central America is fear of just being shot by some random gang member, you know, or stabbed to death or whatever. Crime has just completely gone rampant. The rule of law, as far as criminal element is concerned, uh, has gotten really bad. As far as I'm concerned, and many of my generation, you know, at least during the war, you knew who was going to shoot at you. You know, you knew who the enemy was. Now you don't even know who the enemy is anymore. You know, it's gotten really scary. You know, I think going to Guatemala is about as dangerous as going to Afghanistan. And that's it for this week's episode. Be sure to tune in next week for the conclusion of our interview with Stefan Schmidt. Hope you have a fantastic week. Mm-hmm.